Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Throughout the Jewish world today, the Torah turns the page and begins a new book. The fourth book of the Torah, the penultimate book known in English as Numbers and in Hebrew, Bamidbar, in the desert. The book gets its name from the opening verse, which says, God spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai. It is also known as the book of Numbers, as I've suggested, uh, because it begins and ends with the detailed census of Israel. There are many highlights of this book, and I'll identify a few of them before we turn to our topic for this morning, the first power shock. Um, we are introduced to the laws of Sota, the laws of the wayward wife, and the Nazir, who lives in austere life with no wine or other pleasures. And it's in this book that we find the priestly blessing which is offered not only in the Jewish tradition, but Christian traditions in a slightly varied way. It is in this uh, book that we read the story of how Aaron and Miriam criticize Moses for having separated from his wife and taking a new wife, and the very sa famous story of the Twelve Spies is found in the book of Numbers. Some of you will remember that in anticipation of the Israelites' imminent arrival in the Promised Land, spies are sent out to scout out the land of Israel, and they return with disparaging reports of an impenetrable terrain inhabited by giants. The people are frightened by the reports and rebel. And we find that uh, two individuals, Joshua and Caleb, uh, support the notion that this is the promised land. And finally, though not the last part of it, we see and read of the rebellion and mutiny by Korach, Gatan, and Abiram against Moses and Aaron. It is a book filled with stories that you know, and stories that you will be excited to learn of. This week's parasha, the first parasha in the book of Numbers by Midbar, tells us that God tells Moses to conduct a census of the 12 tribes of Israel. Moses counts 603,000 men of draftable age, 20 to 60, and the tribe of Levi, numbering 22,000 males, age one month and older, who are counted separately. The Levites are to serve in the sanctuary, and they are to replace the firstborn whose number they approximate since they were disqualified when they participated in the worship of the golden calf. 
the 273 firstborn who lacked a Levite to replace them had to pay a five-shekel ransom to redeem themselves. When the Israelites broke camp, the three Levite clans dismantled and transported the sanctuary. Beyond the Levite circle, the 12 tribes camped in four groups of three tribes east. We are told that to the east were Judea, Issachar, and Zebulon, to the south, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad, to the west, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, and to the north, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. The formation was kept while traveling. Each tribe had its own Nasi, prince or leader, and its own flag with tribal color and emblem. It is an interesting parasha that on the surface seems to introduce us to the notion of tribal affinity and the special nature of the priesthood. But buried beneath the words are some exciting uh, symbolic understandings which we want to unpack this morning. With me this morning is Rabbi Paul Gollum, senior, senior scholar and emeritus rabbi of Vassar Temple in Poughkeepsie, New York. Rabbi Gollum is a uh, ardent Zionist and has held many positions in the American Jewish community governing organizations for North American Zionism. Welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, Rabbi Paul Gollum. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's nice to speak to you about the uh, Parashat Bamidbar, the first parashah in the fourth book of the Torah, known in Hebrew as Bamidbar Numbers in English. And let's begin with uh, some unusual calendar uh, issue. Um, the book of Bamidbar in this parasha always is read in synagogues throughout the world the Shabbat before the holiday of Shavuot. Perhaps you can explain to our audience what Shavuot is and why this parasha would seem to fit as an introduction to that holiday. Okay. It's a pleasure to do so. Uh, and I can give a number of, of uh, conventional um, and unconventional answers. Uh, I'll say, first of all, Shavuot is one of the three pilgrim festivals as uh, established uh, um, in, in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all, all touch upon the holiday, though they refer to the holiday in somewhat different fashion. It gets its name <clears throat> from counting off uh, the uh, seven weeks from the uh, beginning of uh, Passover and, and then concluding with Shavuot. Uh, in Torah, it is specifically associated with uh, the, a spring harvest, sometimes referred to as the harvest of the first fruits. Uh, there is uh, something of a contradiction in Torah, in, in Scripture, as to whether it is the culmination of the harvest or only the, uh, or um, that it is 
uh, well after the harvest and at a time in which uh, the produce has now been brought to the threshing floor, mostly grain, and now is prepared for an offering uh, to um, uh, in the uh, temple. Um, and, and that's the pilgrimage part, that you would then travel to the temple. Uh, be that as it may, what happens to the holiday um, and what makes it significant today uh, is far less the issue of the harvest. Most of us are urban, uh, and uh, we might be more aware of exactly where our food comes from rather than the local grocery store, uh, but still rarely actually go out and harvest the, the food. Uh, it is much more its association with the giving of Torah. And, and perhaps uh, we should just remind our Christian listeners that there's a parallel here between the 50 days uh, that exist, that is counted between Passover <laughs> and Shavuot and Pentecost, which in some absolutely. Christian traditions is 50 days following Easter. And exactly. Easter, as many of the listeners of our show know, is uh, one of the few Christian holidays whose date um, is not fixed on the calendar, but is uh, determined by the uh, new moon and uh, similar to Passover. So there is exactly. a similarity between the intentionality of the two festivals, but as you were suggesting, this uh, biblical holiday uh, initially um, observed as a thanksgiving for some harvest, has now morphed into something more significant. Right. And that's where its relationship to the weekly Torah portion, to Bab Midbar, um, comes into existence. I should note, if it isn't already familiar to your audience, um, that the breaking up of the Torah into each of these readings uh, that take place over the course of the year is, um, it's hard to say it's a relatively recent development, but in terms of the totality of the history of, it, of Judaism, uh, it, it happened only about 1,200 years ago. Um, <clears throat> which makes therefore, it in Jewish terms somewhat uh, recent. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but it, it also then highlights that it was a very intentional move on the part of uh, sages, rabbis, uh, around the year 800, that in fashioning the calendar that this should be the Torah portion that takes place right before uh, Shavuot. I mean, it was, it's clear that they could have manipulated the Torah portions almost any way they wish, but made sure that the Book of Numbers would introduce the holiday of Shavuot. Uh, so that, that gives us an opportunity to think about it. Um, <clears throat> and I think we can think about it in two ways. One is an interesting connection between um, the observance of Shavuot and the observance of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, the Torah portion uh, for Rosh Hashanah also has, uh, which is Nitzavim at north, toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, has the sense of mustering, uh, all of you who are mustered, who are standing here today, uh, just as there is a, a sense of mustering uh, that takes place at the beginning of the Book of Numbers with the organization, the counting, and the uh, distribution of the Israelites 
as they're going to leave the base of uh, the region of Mount Sinai and make their way to uh, the land that God is going to show them. Um, Secondly, the previous Torah portion, the Torah portion before the Book of Numbers, Bechukotai, the Torah portion before Nitzavim, Kitavo, are the Torah portions filled with blessings and mostly curses. And therefore, there, uh, the Book of Numbers and uh, or by Midbar and uh, Nitzavim serve as something of a buffering. We don't go into a festival day uh, with curses. We, we have a Torah portion that, uh, that makes sure that doesn't happen. But I do think that this idea, of, uh, in terms of the content of the Book of, of Numbers, uh, of, of number, the fact that we call it Numbers, uh, coming from the beginning of the, of, the, uh, of the book itself, and that's the census, the counting, the organization uh, of the Israelites for their march through the wilderness, uh, is uh, uh, redolent to the sages who were interested in making this Torah portion before Shavuot, it suggests that there needs to be some form of organization, some sort of, uh, uh, of sense of coherence as a people before they can even stand and receive the law. What an interesting thought um, that the counting is there for an organizational structure you're suggesting um, that is imposed upon the Israelites. And though the chronology of receiving the law, um, certainly uh, chronologically that's already taken place in the book of Exodus in terms of the holiday cycle, that this is a powerful reminder that Torah, which will be celebrated, the giving of the Torah, which will be celebrated on Shavuot, is um, given to the entirety of the Jewish people. Uh, yes. Am I understanding you correctly? Yes, uh, and uh, in the the element of the uh, the Torah portion itself that uh, brings it home is not so much the brute counting, um, but also the the way in which uh, the Israelites are going to be organized. That you're going to have uh, three tribes that are going to serve as the vanguard. Um, as the Israelites travel east from Egypt to Israel, um, you so you got three three tribes on the east, three tribes on the north, three tribes on the south, three tribes on the west, um, and uh, the Levites um, and the priests um, uh, uh, and the um, um, you know the the ritual uh, what's referred to as the Mishkan or the Tabernacle uh, in the middle. Uh, this 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 idea is, goes beyond the numbering itself. It goes to this whole sense of organization that before the, the law is heard, the people are organized. So, can you share with our listeners your understanding of why this organizational structure seems to be important for as a um, preparatory act before 
the law and whether it has any implications um, to the Jewish community today as they uh, prepare for Shavuot. Yes, that's a a very uh, apt sort of a question. Um, I think that um, the, the, the principal focus that is being reflected here is that one does not uh, I guess primarily one can only assimilate uh, it, it, one can hear something but not necessarily assimilate it one has to be in a position to actually um, take in what what is being uh, said so if one thinks about the giving of, of the Torah at Sinai now, you know, not merely as an act of revelation, but, you know, as an act of speech. Uh, God said, and then we get the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, if we, we have this as an act of speech, uh, one of the things that would be concerned is, okay, I, uh, somebody is talking, but am I actually listening? And what would be the ground by which I'd be prepared to listen? And part of that is to know something about myself, where am I situated? Um, where am I, uh, I guess, in terms of my life? Where am I in relationship to others? Um, so that it's, it's understood that <clears throat> the revelation only works for the individual Israelite um, when the individual Israelite recognizes uh, his or her relationship with the rest of Israel and perhaps with the rest of humankind, but certainly with the rest of Israel, that uh, that's when uh, one is prepared to listen. Uh, if you are at sea, if you're in a chaotic position, uh, a situation, if you're just in the milling of a group, um, you might not care. You know, you got, you got to be prepared and attentive, and you got to know where where you're at in order to to hear. And I think so- that that's. That's what comes so, out in Bundit Bar. So in many ways, this organizational structure serves as a um, set induction for the offering of the uh, Aserita de Brut, the revelation, that by right. stru- structuring the Jewish people, um, they are better able to hear and to yes. internalize what's happening, um, rather than simply, how shall we say, helter-skelter gathering. Yes, right. Uh, in which case, uh, the, the hearing will be um, uh, impaired. You won't hear everything. Right. Um, one needs to focus before one can... Uh, really internalize important messages. And this is one of the mechanisms of focusing. Yeah. Um, Well, that's an interesting insight because most uh, individuals simply focus on the um, numbers that are offered uh, with regard to the size of the Israelite uh, tribes. I'm wondering if all of these numbers which we're told have some sort of um, total- totality of almost 600,000 
um, make any difference, or are they just the numbers of the um, Torah and the um, into in the intentionality to suggest that there were a lot of people there? Yeah, I think on the one hand, you 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 have exactly that. Um, I, it's it's worth noting that uh, the Book of Numbers, uh, in in terms of the entire book, is going to. Uh, give us uh, two senses, uh, one now and one um, much, much, much later. Uh, um, and uh, it's worth comparing the two. The, the total numbers are almost identical, but the uh, the waxing and waning of individual tribes uh, is, is sort of interesting. Um, some scholars uh, take this, the word that is conventionally translated as uh, thousand, and say that it might have another meaning, um, uh, referring to a, uh, a platoon or a troop uh, or a legion or something like that. Uh, a um, <clears throat> so that since the the census is given in a, in a military sense, uh, um, right for a military so we'll just purpose. Clarify that for yeah. the listeners, as I mentioned in the introduction, the. People, the individuals counted, are called in the text of military age. Yeah. Um, and usually assumed to be 20 to 60 years of age. Uh, right. Women were not included in this, um, nor were children. Uh, right. So the number itself becomes more uh, challenging to understand uh, whether it was intended to simply um, indicate that we had loads of people leaving Egypt or that we had uh, multiples of people who were going to be entering the Promised Land uh, right. for purposes of military conquest. Yes. And so uh, I, I actually, on, on the one hand, uh, appreciate the, the scholarly insight into this um, uh, ambiguous meaning of, of the Hebrew word that, that's used for a thousand, whether we want to treat it literally as a thousand or as some sort of a troop which could be considerably less than a thousand individuals. So when it says a tribe has 20,000 plus Maybe the 20 is 20 troops, 20 legions, 20 regiments. Um, each regiment made up of 400 people, in which case you get a much smaller number than 20,000, uh, uh, which is one way of looking at it. But I, my, my preference is uh, actually, um, since I'm not overwhelmingly concerned with how many angels can dance on the, on the tip of, an, of a pin, uh, is that is the feeling of the fact that it's a multitude that when we read this as thousands uh, we do get the sense of a large group uh, hurting its way through uh, through the wilderness uh, it, it, it it's not so much the exact numbers that are important as as sort of the bulk um, and and, it, uh, and as you read the text and whether you read it as um in a literal manner or an interpretive manner, the bulk of people who wander through the wilderness, is that 
offered to us by the text to tell the reader that um, they are the descendants of a large military force or that we, today's Jews, are simply the descendants of a large group of people who um, came out of Egypt. Uh, How would we, um, who read the text this uh, Shabbat, find um, great meaning in this number, even if we don't read it literally? Yeah, right. I I find, um, I don't find the, 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 the number has, I guess, somewhat less of an impact on me, um, uh, and, and also the military purpose, because it is worth keeping in mind that the second time there, a census is given, the census seems to be far less uh, about uh, military organization and more about the allotment of the land itself and who's going to get more territory and who's going to get less. Um, <clears throat> so that... It's, um, but but I do think it is uh, to create um, a sense on the part of of, of uh, Jews who live today um, a, a a feeling of um, those were our ancestors who were at the base of Sinai that, uh, that we we make their experience. Part of our experience, we make their memory by our reading of the uh, of the Torah uh, week after week, and then repeating, and then year after year, we make their memory our memory. Um, and I and I think that that's what goes on. And I think that in the numbers, uh, we get a, a feel for that, especially when uh, we might not feel uh, emotional kinship with another Jew. We can feel nonetheless a, a, a kinship because we could say, well, we were all there. What a fascinating uh, turn of events you've offered us. The parasha seems to be so focused on counting, and you've turned it into a uh, story about revelation and ancestry. I want to thank my guest, uh, Rabbi Paul Gollum, the... Uh, senior scholar and emeritus rabbi of Vassar Temple in Poughkeepsie, New York, for sharing his wisdom with us. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can hear a podcast of this morning's broadcast on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. Have a good day. Shalom. Shalom.